This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Galton Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Once again today, we are talking to Amy Lewis, who is Executive Director of the, uh, of the Wild organization known as WILD. Uh, it's based in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, so, Amy, welcome back. It's good to be talking with you again. I have a lot of questions that I didn't get to answer, ask last week. So here we go again. Great well, to be here, Jay. Love talking with you. Okay, I'd like to talk to you about the way in which two men, uh, Ian Player and Makubu Nombila, started the Wild Foundation idea. Would you tell us that story? Yeah, um, it's super inspirational and I think has really impacted our ethic about bringing people together to work across cultures for wilderness. Uh, So Ian Player was um, a white South African game ranger and he's best known for uh, doing something that hadn't been done before that was saving a charismatic megafauna species from the endangered species list, removing it from the endangered species list for the first time. And that species was the Southern white rhino. Um, And what some people don't know though, is that Ian did this in partnership with a Zulu elder who had become his mentor, started out as his employee uh, when he was assigned to the Umfalozi game reserve, but basically became his mentor. Um, so they did this in partnership in apartheid South Africa when their friendship and their partnership was essentially illegal. And um, it's super inspiring to learn how Ian and Makubu came to a place where Ian kind of recognized Makubu as a master. Um, but I'll skip over that for now. They, they worked together doing some pretty innovative things to save the southern white rhino and they both kind of recognized after they did that that they could win a lot of battles and save a lot of different species but ultimately lose the war because in makubu's mind the war was a broken relationship with nature and so makubu called for a global indaba and Indaba is um, a Zulu concept, a meeting of the tribes that they come together to coordinate on actions. He called for a global Indaba around healing civilization's relationship with nature. And this is how the World Wilderness Congress was born. So um, uh, how, many, how, many wor- how many World Wilderness Conferences have there been? There have been 10 so far. Well, 10... Plus 11. Um, most of the vast majority of these congresses were um, organized by the man who was president of Wild for 40 years, Vance Martin. And he started, he was hand selected by Ian and Makubu mm-hmm. in the 1980s. And um, he organized his first World Wilderness Congress in 1987 in the United States, although he participated 
uh, and he really helped organize the Third World Wilderness Congress in Scotland, and he'd gone to the Second World Wilderness Congress in Australia. Oh, wow. um, so he was really leading the the organization of the Fourth World Wilderness Congress, and um, he did that for uh, while four through eleven. Um, while eleven did not convene in person, it was canceled in person two weeks before the event because of the pandemic. Uh, but that would have been in Jaipur, India, the second time that India had hosted the the World Wilderness Congress. So, uh, what's the Global Rewilding Alliance? Uh, that's mentioned so, on the website. So, Wild incubates a lot of programs, and rewilding the Global Rewilding Alliance was one of those projects that we incubated. Uh, we continue to partner with them on many things, um, but they are their own autonomous group now. But the goal of rewilding is really um, this idea that if that that we we shouldn't just be restoring nature to um, the values that we find most um, efficient and uh, pleasant for us, we should be restoring and rewilding nature and and creating spaces in which nature is essentially able to heal itself and and run itself. And, and, and one of the, the most fantastic ideas to come out of the Global Rewilding Alliance is their partnership with um, the Yale scientist uh, Oswald Schmitz and his work around animating the carbon cycle, which identifies how species that are present and um, abundant in the landscape actually helps ecosystems store carbon more efficiently. And so what animating the carbon cycle research has shown is that carbon uptake in ecosystems can be two to 12 times greater when keystone species are present and abundant and in healthy populations in those areas. In your, in your various projects, you see, it appears to me that you identify a, a particular species that is the focal point, but you are you are trying to restore the the entire habitat for a variety of species. Anyway, uh, so for example, you have a cheetah conservation fund. You you prioritize uh, elephants in Mali, and you have black leopard uh, black leopards down in uh, Brazil. Uh, it, am I correct about the way you go about that? You know what? It's so interesting that you say that. And as you were saying it, I I recognized for the first times, yeah, there there does tend to be kind of a keystone species involved. But I think first and foremost, what Wild considers, and this is really a legacy of Makubo, Ian, and Vance. Um, and and I'm just carrying it forward, um, but with my social science background, it's also probably something I'd be looking for. Mm-hmm. What we're really looking for is a keystone culture. Mm. Um, we, we really believe in cultural based approaches to conservation. And if you think about it, the conservation sector in general tends to prioritize in funding, certainly, um, scientific research and, um, things to that nature, but it's culture, cultural values and institutions that actually enable us to deploy science at scale. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so what we're looking for are cultures that have those values and institutions that if we are able to present them with data information and with the tools necessary to um, carry out the actions that are suggested by that data, that they will be 100% willing to do so. And they just need to be empowered. So that's that's what's happening in Mali. That's what's happening in um, in uh, Western Amazon. That's what we're looking at working on with the Lakota in the Northern Great Plains. And, um, you know, our sister organizations, Wilderness Foundation Africa, they, for example, are, are doing similar work around um, rhino poaching and rhino horn in, in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And they're working in the same same kind of methodology with the Cheetah Conservation Fund, which is also its own autonomous organization. It was incubated at Wild, but it's autonomous now, is that they were working with children, providing them with scholarships to rehabilitate baby cheetahs and baby rhinos that had been orphaned because their parents had been poached. And then working with those children and then sending them back to their families, many of whom coincidentally came from very prestigious and powerful um, families in their communities and countries to shift the way the adults think and behave at least about animals. And because children are much more willing, I think, to be empathetic. They haven't become as cynical as adults have when it comes to um, nature and wildlife. There's still this sense of wonder and there's still a healthy relationship there. Whereas adults, we've oftentimes been conditioned to think of nature merely as a resource and not as something to be cared for. Tell me a little more about the Cheetah Conservation Fund. Where's that located? That's located in Namibia, and its executive director and fearless leader is Lori Marker, um, a icon in the conservation field. Uh, we don't we 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 are still friends and partners, but we don't have any role in managing them now. Oh, I see. Okay, uh, so that's a spinoff. Um, you're you're the uh, co-chair of the Wilderness Specialist Group. Uh, what is what's that about? So Wild is the secretariat for the Wilderness Specialist Group. The co-chair is the former president of Wild, Vance Martin. And um, the Wilderness Specialist Group is the institutional foothold that we have at the IUCN for wilderness. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, um, the IUCN had to be sold on the idea of wilderness. There's a lot of people that are very cynical and skeptical about it. They don't think we need... Um, anything else than the idea of natural resources Mm -hmm. or ecosystems. And so um, it was through large, in large part, the efforts of Wild's former president, Vance Martin, that the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation Network, developed a wilderness policy framework. And the wilderness specialist group within the IUCN kind of holds the space for wilderness and continues to promote wilderness policy there. You talked about the uh, Nature Needs Needs Half program uh, that you're heavily involved in. Uh, Does that relate to the 30 by 30 program that uh, I've heard about? uh, It's being promoted here. I think President Biden uh, gave endorsement to it. Yeah, so um, 
actually the global target through the United Nations, the global biodiversity framework, which was um, agreed upon in Montreal in December of last year, uh, identified 30 by 30, 30 protecting 30% of Earth's lands and seas by 2030 as the target that we have to reach in order to start having a chance to save the biosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, Nature Needs Half has been around since 2009 and is based on the work of scientists dating back to the 1970s in which um, they've identified that basically after more than approximately 50% of an ecosystem is degraded, you begin to precipitously lose the ecological functionality of that ecosystem. The idea of thresholds, right? So you cross that 50% threshold, you get to 40%, but you don't have 40% of the functionality, you have 20% of the functionality. And um, again, the caution here is that some ecosystems require a lot more. Grasslands only require about 40%, whereas rainforests require 80%. um, And that's their their threshold. Um, So Nature Needs Half was the first global call to protect half of Earth's land and seas because that's what the scientific consensus is. And there's been a lot of research about what scientists actually believe the target is. Mm. And in general, they believe it's 50%, about um, two-thirds, more than two-thirds of all scientists globally um, that work in biodiversity accept 50% as the target. So um, our goal now is to achieve 30 by 30, but also to to really get half on the agenda and to get policymakers beginning to talk about half. And my, you know, what many policymakers I've encountered have said, not just policymakers, people in civil society, they're like half. That's crazy. <laughs> like, 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 like that's so ambitious. Like we shouldn't even be talking about it. It doesn't matter if it's the scientific consensus. There's no way we're going to achieve that. And what I always tell them is, first, when is it easier to protect half? When we still have half left to protect or when we have to go back and restore in kind of a Jurassic Park fashion, restore landscapes that have been decimated, return species that have gone extinct. The fact is right now, there is no better time to protect half the planet than than right now. This is the most feasible time ecologically as well as economically to protect half. How so do, that's what we should be doing. How do countries uh, relate to each other in terms of uh, what what wild areas remain and what, what areas have been developed or damaged in some way? Um, that's a good question because for a lot of countries, especially powerful hegemonic countries, there is a motivation to protect wild areas within their own territory, but then to go out and exploit those areas in other territories and other countries. And which is why we need to start treating Earth's wilderness as a global commons. We need to start treating it and thinking about it globally because all of these ecosystems are interconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, the rainforest depends on minerals and sand that's carried over the jet stream. Uh, it depends on on that ecosystem, it, it, you know, an ocean away. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in terms of South America, the, the Amazon rainforest is responsible for over 70% of the rainfall in South America, including in areas outside the rainforest that are some of the most important um, agricultural areas 
mm-hmm. the world. So, so everything is interconnected and we really have to get past this idea of like wilderness is just for people in the U S or Canada or, or this is, you know, our wilderness in Brazil. Um, wilderness is part of our civilization's legacy. Each and every one of us, the qualities that we admire most about ourselves were born in wilderness. We inherited them from the animals that hunted us and the animals that we hunted. Our ingenuity, our resilience, our creativity, all of these things were born in wilderness. And so wilderness, we, we all come from wilderness and wilderness belongs to all of us. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, what is Wild doing about climate change? I know that that's a concern of yours. Uh, so involving with climate change. The climate climate is not the, the climate system does not exist in isolation. Climate is born from uh, biodiversity and from ecology as much as it shapes biodiversity and ecology. And um, our our climate and our weather patterns, the amount of carbon that's in the atmosphere versus stored in the soil is really almost entirely dependent. If we don't look at human intervention, it's almost entirely dependent on biological factors. And so humans have, of course, added this and we are emitting carbon, which is accelerating climate change to degrees that are basically unheard of. But we can work with biodiversity, we can work with nature, and we can work with wild areas in order to slow that. And in fact, if we don't work with nature, we're not going to meet our climate targets. There's at least 100 parts per million carbon stored in the world's primary forests. Mm -hmm. We lose even a fraction of those primary forests, and we blow through our uh, climate target of 450 parts per million. We're at 420 right now. So um, if those forests go away and they're no longer storing that carbon, we just lost a powerful ally. If we restore the forests, if we rewild, we can take out, I think it's over 30% of the excess carbon we've put into the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution. The Wild Foundation uh, uh, publishes uh, a number of publications. Um, what uh, What's the International Journal of Wilderness? So the International Journal of Wilderness is the only peer-reviewed journal um, with an international platform that takes submissions from all over the world for, from academics and practitioners and, you know, anyone involved in the protection of wilderness, even if they're not a so-called expert, um, to publish and to, uh, to generate that kind of shared knowledge around and shared values around wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody's interested in that journal, IJW.org is where they can find it. Um, it's a modest subscription fee of like, I think, $30 a year. So that address once again. IJW.org. Okay. And uh, what other publications are you uh, producing? Uh, so there's at the for the Congress, there's always the proceedings. We worked um, for many, many, many years with Fulcrum um, uh, publishers 
and and actually the um one of our long longest serving um board chairs uh bob Barron, uh was the president of fulcrum um and they fulcrum still publishes a lot of conservation books but we've worked with them to publish uh the international um wilderness policy uh book and numerous other uh tomes on on wilderness and its protection internationally that's the wilderness handbook yes handbook uh what's what's in that book Uh, i mean there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of case studies with different countries and how their wilderness policy framework was formed and what that framework looks like as well as inventorying the amount of wilderness that remains um coming back to uh, the united states from overseas um what is what's the mission mountain wilderness area in montana and how are you involved in that? Um, to my, I, I, I personally was not involved in Mission Mountain. I think that was before my time oh, okay. at, at, at Wild. Okay, we'll cut it out. Uh, one of your campaigns is called Survival Revolution. Uh, and there's a section called Be an Ambassador. Tell us about that. So Survival Revolution really ramps up around uh, the biodiversity COP. And we had the last one in Montreal. It was the uh, Kunming Montreal Biodiversity COP in uh, last December. And we're going to have the next one, I believe, in October of next year, 2024. And this is when we activate civil society to post all over the United Nations uh, uh, Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds about their support for protecting half the planet. Because that's what our civilization needs to survive. Right. And so we have we have groups that are called Extinction Rebellion um, and whatnot. Well, this is the survival revolution um, that we need to to dramatically improve the system, which includes respecting half of Earth's lands and seas, in order to ensure the lasting. Um, survival of our own civilization how can people get involved with wild uh, how do you how do you attract people and well, how do you involve them well i mean there's a great opportunity to be involved coming up in 2024 and our registrations i think by the time you publish this jay our registrations for the 12th world wilderness congress will be open so you can learn more about that at wild12.org. That's wild, the number 12.org. And, um, and there'll be registrations that are open. We have an early bird special. Everybody who registers becomes a delegate and can participate in the conversations um, that are going to shape the policies and outcomes that come out of uh, wild 12 and that will be used to try and shape the global agenda around conservation for the next four years and uh what's the uh what's what's the website that you uh you for that for the world well for the congress uh it's it's wild 12 uh but what is your what is your uh what's your address for people who are just just want to find out more about what wild is and does wild.org. Okay. That's pretty simple. Yes. So 
let's see. What else would you like to tell us about Wild? What have I omitted? Well, I feel remiss in that, you know, I've only been CEO for the last 11 months. Uh-huh. And prior to me, Vance Martin was C- uh, president of Wild since 1987. So I, I'm not going to math that, but, you know, for decades. And one of the things he would always emphasize is the idea of relationship. Uh-huh. That the root problem, and this comes from Ian and Makubu, but that the root problem of the environmental crisis is not pollution. It's, you know, not economics. It's our relationship with ourselves and with nature. Because we have not been conditioned to prioritize respect for nature and respect for ourselves because we're dependent on nature, um, that we won't ever sustainably solve this this crisis until we first solve our own relationships. And I just want to say that now because it might take, especially for some listeners, it might take a while to really sit sit with to understand it. But I think it's absolutely true. Um, and if I didn't say it too, Vance would um, uh, <laughs> Vance would have something to say to me about it afterwards. So oh, okay. And uh, t- tell me a little bit about the bi- the uh, what you're doing to uh, protect or save bison in the United States. Well, you know the thing is there are a ton of amazing groups working on bison. And there's a ton of amazing initiatives um, around the protection of bison. But this gets back to relationship as well, right? Because uh, prairies are the most rare ecosystem on the planet. Mm-hmm. And if we look at if we look at the Great Plains, I mean, we only have a few, like one or two percent of the Great Plains really is left intact. The rest has been consumed by a kind of European style agriculture. And we've lost a lot of the grasses and the species mm-hmm. that existed there because of that. So if we want to restore the Great Plains, make the Great Plains great again, um, then then we really have to focus on working together, not just restoring bison here and there, but working together with governments, with business, with communities, native and non-native communities to develop, to generate the um, will and the desire to shift kind of some of our practices in order to make space again for those keystone species that that make the prairies the prairies, including bison. So WILD is working with our native partners to identify things that they need um, that, that, that they can't focus on because they're focused on managing bison herds and, you know, ecosystems in their own, um, jurisdictions, but to work with them and work with local communities to find a way that we can start interconnecting these, these, um, herds and to begin to really think about the Great Plains, not just as a pocket here and there, but mm-hmm. as an entire region that we're going to restore. Okay, well, Amy, we've uh, run out of time, but uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, and uh, thank you very much. It's been uh, interesting, and I wish you well. Wild.org is the website. 
to go to and uh, check it out and uh, get involved in WILD. Our guest today has been Amy Lewis, president of the WILD Foundation, an international organization seeking to preserve the Earth's wilderness and wildlife, based in Boulder, Colorado. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.org and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.